Straight Out of Gibraltar, sponsored by Coca Cola. Welcome to Straight Outta Gibraltar, bringing you interviews and all the best music from the Gibraltar music scene. If you like what we do, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash straight out of Gibraltar. Hey guys, welcome to Straight Outta Gibraltar, brand new episode. As we had promised, we always bring you an episode bi-weekly, and obviously with bi-weekly we bring you the very best in local music talents from the past and the present, and obviously we talk to those people about their experiences along the way, and it's very fun. And the most important things we need, one of the most important things we need to mention rather all, all the time, and it's, no, it's not obligatory, but we like to do it anyway, is the fact that the show is sponsored by Coca Cola. And obviously, we can thank the fine people at Secondary Speed, especially Guy Pavadano and Suraj Award for that kind of sponsorship. So, thank you guys for that. And we move on now to our guest. Our guest is a bit of a blast from the past, I dare say, but his, his, like his roots are still very local. He still continues to pretty much keep active in the UK and obviously focuses too much on the Gibraltar music scene in every sense of the word. So we welcome John Barnett. John, welcome. Mr. Diaz, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. So how are you today, John? My calves are aching because I've forgotten how steep the hills are here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's nice. It's nice to get away from the UK and just walk at a slower pace for a week or so, which is obligatory, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And obviously the weather's good as well, so you've been here for four days and the weather's been nice, so no, no complaints about that. Well, I'm already a few shades darker. <laughs> In a good way. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. No, it's, it's nice to be back, and uh, I don't get a chance to come back anywhere near as often as I should. Um, as you said, my you know I grew up here, my musical roots began here. You know, I mean, going back to my very first guitar lesson with Andy Drummond, of all people, a long time ago. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really nice to be back, and it looks quite the same, except for all the brand new stuff, which confuses me. <laughs> it confuses me too, I've been here all my life. But anyway, John, it's very simple to actually say, but for people who are not aware, um, you're actually part of Sympathy for the Blonde, which is pretty much the precursor for Treehouse, Melendizum, and all these big, these big mans that came over. Monkey Business, which people tend to forget about. But all these bands came from pretty much that, uh, those two bands in particular. 
especially the ones that the one that actually did get away especially Mel and Diesel so yes so tell us about that and obviously how that all happened and you like you mentioned your roots and what you started liking back then it well like every young manager roles I was in Bayside obviously and then Lionel Beres was holding auditions for Jesus Christ Superstar um, I think they, they tried it and then it, it, it failed so they did it again so I auditioned I got a part in that that seemed to go okay then about a week later Dylan Ferro comes up to me um, in between classes and his exact words were Husha okay we know that you can sing because you're in Jesus Christ Superstar I went yeah he goes we want to do a band and so utilising the brand new rehearsal rooms in Bayside every lunchtime we ended up in there practising Metallica Guns N' Roses and then you realised as you got towards the end of each lunchtime there's a crowd of guys outside the window all watching so it was almost like a little gig so you think hang on a second maybe there's something here so the band became Sympathy for the Blonde. It was, it was kind of us and No Man's Land in those days. Yeah. And Dirts were, were playing Chimney Corner regularly and things like that as well, playing Diane and Alan. And then that lasted for about a year and a half. Every time we did a gig, we ended up in the newspaper. I won't go into the details of why, but <laughs> it was normally my fault. <laughs> Some of the gigs in the Manchester United Club. Um, and then when that fragmented, of course, Daniel and um, Daniel Bojeja and Dylan went off and formed Mel and Diesel. I think it was with part of, of Treehouse as well. Yeah, that was it. Impossible. So that became Mel and Diesel, which are then, I think, if I'm correct, sort of evolved into Taxi and things yeah. like that. So it's, you can see the family tree, can't you? Yeah, exactly. So um, it was all my drunken fault, but I'm part of it anyway. <laughs> but it's still, uh, a part of the music scene at the time, which wasn't as active as it is now, obviously there wasn't that much going on. National Tech hasn't been it's already around, but it was still not... I want to say the highlights in a way, like there was only very selected bands that would actually play. Yeah, it was, I mean, what's been very apparent since I came back last week is um, when I chatted to you and I uh, was talking to um, Johan Fernandes, my original bassist, he also formed Underhill, didn't he? Yeah. Um, the sheer number of bands nowadays, and I mean, it's about 20, 30 or so bands. As I said, in those days, there were just a few bands that would play in very select places. Occasionally, there might be a big gig in Ince's Hall or Trafalgar, uh, yeah, John McIntosh Hall. But it was usually because it would be something like the GSA would put on a variety show, because the draw, just for one band, was never really big enough, unless you looked at certain bands such as Shattered from, from the old days. Yeah. Um, you know, your old classic jib rock. But again, it was much more selective in those days, because there was... There was there were far fewer places. Uh, were far fewer places to rehearse as well, mm. which nowadays is much less of a problem, isn't it? Yeah, I've got Rock and Rock, Retrenchment Block, and everywhere else. And in, in there is too many places to rehearse. If you go to Alan at Rock and Rock, I'm pretty sure you'll get a room, even if it's just for a day. That's, that's brilliant that he's got all those rooms downstairs. That's excellent. I was impressed with that as well. Yeah, and the most fantastic thing about that is obviously when you look at these bands, you look to, you look up to the people that are, are the bands. I see one of the tracks that you chose is from a band called Ghost. But not many people know so much about Ghost. Obviously, the fact that they performed the jib, they were fronted by Gibraltarian. Had not the Gibraltarian enjoy Soisa, but the, I don't say what's known more about Ghost is the day the performance was the day of the famous riots as well. Yes, it was, wasn't it? I mean, you go, what, mid-90s there, isn't it? Yeah, 95, I, I believe. 95 it was, because I was, at the time, I was working at Kiss Disco, I was DJing, and I was wondering whether the place was going to be burnt to the ground by the time I got there, because it was all frenetic. But yeah, I mean, Ghost, I mean, Giles, Giles Oedas, his voice on that, it starts top end of mid-range and it just stays there. And yeah. because of the kind of that I do in the UK, because we do Deep Purple and Zeppelin, vocally it's 
organ that sort of area as well. But in, there were a few vocalists in those days that could do that. And Giles is, is just, you know, I mean, you watch it now and it's like, good God. Yeah. And he's still got it too. And if you listen to the new Reach album, you'll see why. His rock roots are, are right there in the right place at the right time. The, the voice is the last thing to go. I mean, I've got books and, and books on singing and things like this. And there's, there's, there's one book on vocal techniques, and it says, the golden age of the male voice is 35 to 55. So guys like Giles, you know, right in his peak. Glenn Hughes is 66 years old. Yeah. Incredible. So fingers crossed, let's hope for me yeah. <laughs> you never know. And what the track that you chose is "Get on the Bus," which is probably the rockiest song of the, the entire album, and it's actually one that actually got played on GBC quite often back then. And it's probably one of my favorites from the album as well. There's actually music videos for this. I don't know if you've seen. I found it on YouTube. Yeah, that was I found it. it, and it's very much, you would say, of a time. Yeah. We got music videos that were very sort of nineties, and they're all got that sort of feel. And it was very. And you look at it, you think this is incredible because you, you now see young people in England dressing like that because it's all cyclical. I mean, between that and Bernie Stark, which is also a music video that they have on YouTube, it's a great album around. If you know, checked it out. The other side is, I just say, one of the best albums ever. Period. Uh, it's very underrated too. Well, the, the wealth of musical talent that Jip has always produced. I mean, I was talking to um, Christopher Cortez yesterday yep. about the middle of the afternoon tea. Very long rock and roll, but a, a really, really nice afternoon in, in the hotel, reminiscing about stuff. And we were talking about um, the wealth of musical talent in Jip because when I came to live in Jip, the frontier was closed. So what people said, well, they either did it was they drove around around the rock or they picked up a musical instrument. And the musicians that came out of that era, as I mentioned, you know, you've got Harry Chichon, Steve McLaren, Peter Montefiore, all these guys, superb musicians, Andy from the Atom So yeah, I suppose boredom, well, is this, what is it, not boredom is the mother of, of invention, isn't it? What is it? It's a similar phrase. But when you've got nothing to do, you'll get productive. Yeah. You know, or you'll do something destructive, which some of us chose for a while. But um, yeah, so many great musicians in that period, it's, it's fantastic. I just say, like, Adrian Pissarello says this a lot, and I've actually rephrased this before, that if every local musician draws were to hold hands, you'd fill up half of it. Easily, easily. It's, um, yeah, throw a rock in the air, you'll hit a talented musician here, won't you? Yeah. And it's, uh, that's what amazed me, because when I went back to live in England in the mid-90s, Trying to find a decent guitarist when putting a band together um, was difficult because you'd have an audition night where six, seven, eight, nine guys would come through the door and you know what you're looking for yeah. because you've been spoiled by what you've seen in Jib. Absolutely. And then when you get there, you're thinking, well, why can't these guys do it? But then you come back to Jib on holiday and you're just watching guys in, in, sitting in the corner of the pub, you're thinking, good God, this is what it's all about. Yeah, and it worked. In every sense of the word. So let's play the track now, and obviously we'll be back with Pots who we'll talk about a little bit more Oracle and obviously all the bands that inspired you along the way. So this is Ghost with Get on the Bus. Hope you enjoy it.
And we're back with part two. That was Ghost with Get on the Bus. I hope you enjoyed that. It's a great track and a great album. If you haven't checked it out, it's available to purchase everywhere pretty much. I've seen it on eBay and I've seen it on Discogs, you name it. It's everywhere. If not, you'll be able to listen to it very soon on our new brand new show, which we'll be debuting very soon. So anyway, moving on. One of the bands that you chose is one I dare say that not many people remember, but not many people don't remember at the same time. Oracle. And obviously when you look at Oracle, it's like an ABC of talent pretty much because you've got Alan McMahon you've got Stuart Garija who went to fame with Breed mm-hmm. obviously Peter Mandeir and Peter Godefra as well would be from Egypt as well so four great musicians all around it was the reason that I, I mentioned them that they were the first band I ever saw live first the first should we say established UK band that I saw miming was the Pretenders in Gibraltar for the Rock and the Rock show but the first band that I ever saw perform live and loud that made me go oh my god was Oracle, because my brother, who's eight years older than me, has always loved rock music, couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, my brother, right? <laughs> but he loves the management side, which is why he ended up managing Sympathy for the Blonde, my bad. But his first test, or first attempt at that kind of thing, which he didn't do badly at, was getting involved in Oracle, because he met Dave Wyatt in the old Barrel House, you remember Barrel yeah. a long time ago. Very nice met him in there, started talking about music, Dave was forming a band with this guy called Peter, my degree for so Lee started going to rehearsals, and Lee, he was very passionate about the fact that, as I said to you, in gym in those days, Frontier had only just opened, but there was no proper outlet for Gibraltarian musicians to actually go and start making a bit of money out of the talent, because otherwise you just play all the same places, you don't make any money. So Lee was pushing him to, look, let's try Spain, let me try and contact other people. So through Koran magazine, remember the old heavy metal magazine? Yeah. He sent out a demo, that, uh, I think it was a four-track demo that, uh, that Oracle had done, and, and Peter was on vocals in that time, that was before Alan came along and sang. And he sent it off to this Italian uh, radio station, got a great response, and they were like, yeah, come over, you know, we'll do a promotional tour for you, and it was all set up. My brother handed it on to this other guy that took over from him, who had a bit of money behind yeah. him, and he just, you know, nothing happened, unfortunately. So that was how I got into Oracle, so I got... I still got the four-track demo somewhere. It's got things like Gibraltar Rock on it, Lady, uh, the original Never Wanna Cry with Peter on vocals. And that is the track that I think when Alan joined, that was the first thing we saw on GBC. Yeah. And he re-vocaled Never Wanna Cry. It's a great vocal, that is. But it is a great track. And I discovered it on YouTube, which I was over the moon. You know, It's in Spotify too, believe it or not. Is it? Yeah. Really? No way, man. Well, they're not going to make any money out of that, are they? Nobody does. <laughs> but... Um, I was over the moon to find it, and someone has recorded it straight from final onto the video. So as it plays halfway through, it, it jumps, which yeah. is really cute. But it's a it's a great track, and it's got a great soul. It doesn't sound local, in my opinion. Every no, time I listen to it, no, not at all. And you can hear the influences in Alan's voice there, and, and you know, and again, Peter's playing. And the thing about Peter is, is the Tony Iommi of Gibraltar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Tips of two fingers missing, but no prosthetic. Fingertips and like iron. No. And I, how he does it, I don't know, but it's. It's, it's magical, I'm just saying, ever since the word. What was it that you saw in life for the first time? It was in the piazza, right? Or, or do you have to call it John Mackie John Square? Yeah. 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 When the piazza looked like the piazza in the old days, before the. With the fountain and everything. Yeah, else. exactly. The fountain really walked it. And it was. Uh, that was when James Holland was on drums before Peter Correa came along as well. Yeah. So it was um, Peter on the on vocals as well. And there was a few different bands playing. Uh, I think Polaris played that day as well. Yeah, probably. And I can't remember who else played. Um, but I think Oracle were on second, and about four or five songs set. 
And I was just mesmerised because I thought, this is brilliant. And I was about 10, 11 years old. But I was just thinking, how do I do this? How, how, do, you, how do you get into this? So even then, yeah. just like the whole grittiness of it and all the volume, it just you know blew me away. A spark was born. It's just, you know, oh, it never went out. <laughs> but even better, it's one of those things when you've got a passion for something, just continue on until the passion burns up. So we're going to play Never Gonna Cry by Oracle, which is a great track, like you said, but it doesn't sound local at all. This album is on Spotify, like I said, and it's on iTunes, I believe, as well. It's available everywhere. The democratisation of the airwaves. <laughs> I mean, if you want a physical copy, you can still buy one. I believe Alan has a few copies as well. Really? Yeah, so it's worth checking out. And the album marks to that um, album is one of my favourites as well. Very creative and very different to what there normally is with a band shot or anything else. This is just an artwork with an orange dragon and everything else. Yeah, it's very magical. Let's just leave it at that. So this is Never Gonna Cry by Oracle. I'll be back with part three after this.
And we're back with part three, and that was Oracle with Never Gonna Cry, a great track, a great band, and great musicians. Obviously, three of them rose to fame, especially Stuart, and obviously Peter with Egypt, which is still active as ever all around the UK as well. And one of the bands that I guess is very forgotten in the Twilight music scene, especially Egypt, and when it comes to Eric, obviously, happy to Shishon once upon a time on drums as well. But many other, many other things have done, and obviously many other things that you'll be able to listen to on our brand new show coming out very soon. But anyway, we're going to talk about the band that we talked to uh, about the, the first time, the first chapter. Obviously, it's Treehouse. And obviously, Treehouse came out of time, as I say, where grunge was out in, worldwide, but they actually sound exactly like what there is out there in the US and the UK, especially. So, what was it for you to see them as a fan, and obviously to see them evolve and get this evolution? to become this big band in, in Jim and also in Spain as well. My first um, experience of, of some of the guys in Treehouse was um, when Sympathy for the Blonde first started out. Uh, they helped an awful lot with things like the personal space, um, with things, well, with, with assistance as well and equipment. Um, I think one of, the, one of the gigs that we played in uh, in the Manchester United Club, Edwin Possum lent some of his equipment, his double bass pedal to demo yeah. and things like this. So. I became aware of them from hanging out with them to a degree and, and speaking to them. And then you suddenly think, oh, actually, you know what? These are a very good group of musicians here. And it was something that, because we were starting out, you see these guys who were playing with more power than us, with more precision and better, because, I mean, we were all just starting out. Yeah. It's something to aspire to. Yeah, you can look at your favourite bands from the 70s, you know, your Black Sabbaths and Queens and Deep Purple, and you think, yeah, that's what I want to be like. When you've got something local that you can look at and go, you know what, these guys' approach to music is actually something that we need to move towards. From my perspective, difficult through a haze of whiskey, which was always seemed to be there for the, <laughs> the entire time that somebody were around. But it was, um, they had the right attitude as well, because as you say, it was around the time of grunge, and I think musicians and chips started going, you know what, we don't just want to be here playing the same old places. Yeah. They knew how good they were, so took it out of gym and said, you know what, this is what we are. And I think that was, they were some of the pioneers in the early 90s that Agreed. paved the way for some of the bands like Breed 77 and everything that came afterwards. And it's great as well because the fact that they went, like we mentioned the Grand scene, obviously it became so big. The fact that they went to Madrid and obviously they left the, the, the CD, the Treehouse EP, the treasure that is, the Treehouse EP, obviously at the, at the hostel they were staying at. So I enough, some guy from a record label heard it, thought it was Pearl Jam, they thought it was a bootleg or something. Is that so, how it went? Yeah, it? and the rest is history, they say. No way. And it's one of those magical moments that they came back, obviously, thinking that the dream was over. And obviously the dream was just starting once they, this person heard that record, uh, that demo in particular. This, you know what, I'm going to quote my mum here. Um, and she knows her music because it's, she's a great singer herself. When she, if she'd come to gigs that my band has played in the UK, she'll be there. She's 78 years old. She will out headbang everybody in that theatre. <laughs> I'm not joking. Four foot eleven, and she's a whirling dervish. But my mum has always said to me, things happen for a reason. Yeah. Now, obviously, they were supposed to leave that demo where they left it when they did, weren't yeah. they? Because otherwise, it'd come back. It'd end up in the back of someone's cupboard, and that was it. Mm. So yeah. You, you go to places and things happen for a specific reason. And that's why that happened. So I'm not a religious person, as most people know, yeah. but fate, 
I'm, I'm a strong believer in that, yeah. Mm. So it was supposed to happen, wasn't it? You, you mentioned everything happens for a reason. And you mentioned that your mum wrote that. That's my mum's quote as well. She uses it for absolutely everything. And even when I did my jib talks last year, I mentioned it. You know, my I, my my mum would always say it, and I hate I would hate her for it back then. But now, like now, with everything that I do for my job and everything that I do through GLMS and everything else, I'm like, okay, she was right. You know, the thing is, again, my mum does say it for everything. If I stepped in a bear trap and lost my foot, she'd say exactly the same thing. Well, things happen for a reason. Yeah, it's <laughs> stretching it too far. <laughs> But it's true. I mean, mothers always find a positive in every negative, I dare say. But that's the bonus, I guess. Mm. Uh, we talk a lot, a, a lot about Treehouse, but obviously in the local music scene, that was very vibrant, as I say, once Treehouse was out there. Mm. But was there any particular local musicians that you looked up to or the ones that you felt could have made it on a worldwide scale? Any particular musicians? Yeah. There's probably a few, but... Well, I was, I, was, I was always amazed at people like... We had people like uh, Dennis Valero and, yeah. and, and these guys, and it seemed like the older, more established musicians who could basically sit there... Again, I mentioned Andy Frommel before. Yeah. Now, you know, as the, the legend goes, he auditioned Ryan Maiden in the other days and things like this, and he's uh, friends with... Is it Pablo? Uh, is it Pablo Lucien? Yeah. He's friends That's with it. him, things like this. And you think, right, it frustrates me. I, I don't know what your opinion is, but it frustrates me that people of that level of talent were never Andy Romo, oh my God, headlining this stadium and doing this sort of thing because the talent yeah. that he had. But we'd walk around Bayside School and you'd see him going from science lab to science lab because he was, he was, he was a lab teacher. Yeah, that was it. And for people that had no idea, he's just the bloke with long hair and looks a bit like David Koresh. And you think, well, you know, who is this guy? And then when you actually watch the talent that he had, has, that's the, the, the thing that has always uh, surprised me and disappointed me somewhat, that you've got these guys from the generation before yeah. Peter and, and Steve who can just play something without even thinking about it insanely well, but are happy to play, you know, in the corner of a pub in, in the evenings and just do, do the subject on the day. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's horses for courses, isn't it? But it, if that's how good you are at that thing, be yeah. that thing. Why haven't you ever been that thing? And I suppose a lot of it has to do with what Jib was like. Frontier clothes, no way of getting out. Yeah. That was it. Unfortunately, but like you mentioned, his talents, to the ones that lived at least, he's one of those that many local musicians mentioned, mostly because of all his guitar and skills, but not only that because of how humble he was as well, like, mm. despite how much he had done. And obviously original tracks as well, which sometimes, I dare say, it wasn't heard of at the time. I mean, Face the Glass by Atom Bomb. Yes, that was it. Great track filmed in the drama studio at Bayside School. Yeah, and if you if you are able to find that video on YouTube, because believe me, I've searched for it. If you can find that, even though I mean GBC in those days and production techniques—you're talking early mid '80s—it wasn't a state of the art as it is now. It, it looked quite yeah. amateurish because the money wasn't there, obviously. Yeah, not denigrating GBC in any way. But when you watch that video, you think, "Hang on a second, this is—it was head and shoulders the video itself." above anything else that was done to was, yeah. And musically, you know, I mean, I was, there's a bit where the three of them are just lying there, aren't they? On their backs playing, and you think, this is so cool. And it, it's like, it's like a completely Caucasian version of the Jimi Hendrix experience. It is, and, and, Yeah, so way ahead of his time. But again, still, as you say, just so humble, isn't he? 
Yeah, it's one of those tracks that we hope that we get some at some point. We that we were looking for somebody who may have something. If the if you do to contact us, I'm pretty sure someone hard to come across, isn't it? Yeah, it it's is. very. It's one of those. It's similar to the a physical copy of the Treehouse EP. This is exactly the same thing. Mm. It's on the that same scale. The musical album, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but anyway, we're gonna play Treehouse, Big Old House, which is a great track. It's very. This is, I just say, the one that. Reminds me too much of Pearl Jam. Not that the other ones don't, but this one is the one that really feels like Pearl Jam. And you listen to it like, what the hell is anybody doing? You can hear the influence, can't you? Yeah. yeah. In, every, in all the tracks, I dare say, but in this one in particular, it's one of those. But this is Big Old House, and it's from the Holy Grail, like I mentioned, of, from the Treehouse EP. So I hope you enjoy it, guys.
And we're back with part four. That was Treehouse, Big Old House. For people who know about Treehouse, we mentioned it at the start of the show. Of course, that was uh, what was the precursor to Melon Diesel, Taxi, and of course, Area 52, which Guy Bramet and Adrian Brussel were a part of in the early 2000s to late 2000s as well. So we're going to continue on and talk about a band which, as I say, took the UK by storm. I, mean, I say that because I'm very biased towards them, but I think they did, especially in this particular genre, because nobody was doing it at the time and nobody continues to do it now. And of course, that's Breed 77. And of course, when it comes to Breed, what was the introduction to Breed in the first place? It was, the first thing I heard um, was Zombie, and normally, um, what's I put it? you know if you listen to musicians from a, a, a particular genre, okay, okay. or certainly times that I've mentioned, you recognise their styles and things like this, and it was, I was uh, living in Kent at the time in the UK, I live in Essex now, and I was actually seeing a Gibraltarian girl, Becca will remain nameless, because I'm not anymore, and she looked um, in Kent as well, and she brought it to my attention, and exactly words where she was, okay, you, 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 you know what I'm reading, no? and I went, well, I've heard the name on um, MTV, MTV Rocks or something, right? Yeah. And I went back and watched it again, I thought, hang on a second, I know him, I know him, I thought, no way, and you know when the penny drops, I thought, this is way, way, way too slick yeah. to have come from Jib. Now that sounds like a really disparaging thing to say, but what I mean is I was over the moon that they'd actually managed to take their stuff, get it seen, get it done properly, and put it out, and all of a sudden, Jib was going, hey, everybody in the world, look where we are. Because, yeah. And I thought, this is really rather good. And I thought, hang on, I couldn't remember the name of the lead singer at the time, but I thought, I know you, because you came to some sympathy for the Blonde Kicks, this is bonkers. Yeah. Uh, I, know, I, I know members of your family, I'm just going. And it's weird because it, it gives you, even though it's not like your band, it gives you almost like a sense of pride. It's like when, when I watched um, Gibraltar play in uh, international football. Yeah. I think, flipping heck, you're going to get beat, I know you are, but I'm so proud that you're playing Scotland or you're playing the Czech Republic. Yeah. And the fact that something from Jib, this postage stamp sized place, all of a sudden, these guys were representing Jib on you know, a global stage and getting yeah. recognised for. It was, it was brilliant. So it, I think the Zombie was the first track of it. Then it was, um, I think it was The River, the one after that as yeah. well. And the music video to that, the fact that it's recorded at Europe Point, I think is what makes it stand out yes. in every sense of the word. Obviously it stands out for us because we're like, oh my God, we know where that is. But when you show people like from anywhere else in the world, oh, that's the last point of Europe. Yeah. The fact that they recorded it there, it, it sounds terrific. I guess it's the most played Breed 77 track on the show. I think that there isn't any of that. We do an interview that don't mention Breed and actually choose the song. They've got an entire great repertoire, but this is the one that I dare say is always going to stand out because it's so different, so local, I dare say, in, in, in their sounds and, the, yes. and obviously what they created, the vibe that they created as well. Very polished as well and very slick. And it, you don't listen to it. And again, when you're a musician or a singer, it ruins live music. In, in, in the I, I, my dad says the same absolutely yeah. if, if, if me and the guys in the band go and check out a local band even though you're there as a spectator and you're there to enjoy the evening I'll be sitting there and I'll be watching the vocalist and I'll be thinking how much of a breath is he, is he using his head voice okay what mic is he using and, and I'm breaking down the component parts I look at my bassist Mike or our bassist and he's looking at the bassist he's looking at the rig he's looking at Mark our guitarist I can tell he's looking at the pedals and it completely ruins the gig as an entity. But 
you end up being much more analytical. And when I was watching Breach 77, I thought, you know what, I can't fault this. Because everything about it, the, again, the production of the video, yeah, I recognise where it was, obviously, but I thought it actually looks almost like um, something out of a Corleone movie. Yeah. It looks so cool. And I thought, and these guys sound as they're supposed to sound. So I was, it was, um, I was really impressed. I thought, you know what? The music scene has, has grown up a bit more now because it's suddenly taking yeah. itself very, very seriously. And it was apparent in that video. And what was your initial reaction like when you get to, when you get to, got to find out the fact that they have performed with likes of Iron Maiden, Metallica and all these big bands? Well, it's, it's vindication, isn't it? Because yeah. rather than being a local band who've gone to England and tried it and, you know, we're getting some degree of success, getting noticed by those bands, but also getting noticed by the management of those bands, because it's it's, it's rarely the band themselves go, True. we want those guys. It'll be the management and the hoops you've got to jump through contractually in the yeah. UK. And, and, you know, I mean, we play theatres up and down the country and the contract is often 15, 16, 17 pages long and there'll be clause after clause. So the fact that these guys are spotted, we want you, again, it's, it's, it's vindication for what they were doing. And it's fantastic as well. Yeah, the, the legacy that they've left is phenomenal. And they continue to do stuff. I mean, uh, Danny's part of the variety board. I don't know if you've heard them, but they're actually a great band as well. Very metal, very dark, I want to say. Very King Crimson kind of like uh, feel as well. And it's a great album. The last one was phenomenal. We actually got an advanced copy of that and we just played it back to our heart's content and we like, we're blown away. But that's in the end, we're never not blown away by anything local. Let's just leave it like that. So anyway, we're going to play Breed, and obviously we'll come back with the final track, and obviously talk a bit more about your adventures in the UK as well. So this is Breed's The River, and I hope you enjoy it, guys. See, I wanna wake up and. 
And we're back with the fifth and final part. So that was Breed 77 with The River, an iconic song, an iconic band, and an iconic sound, I dare say. So anyway, we're going fi- to finish off with a band which I just say did take the local music scene by storm because it, it was very punky, very ro- rocky at the same time, and a great band composed Brothers, which was very rare as well back in the day. So we're talking about Underhill, but before we get to Underhill, we can talk a little bit about, about Purple Zeppelin as well. So tell us about Purple Zeppelin, and obviously... The title and the name of the band says it all. It's about two purple and it's about Led Zeppelin. So, how was that formed and how did you get into it? I've been living in the UK for about seven years and I've done no music at all, no singing for a while. And I thought, you know what, I'd, I'd like to get back into it. So, sang with a little covers band for a while, then met up with, um, formed uh, a Deep Purple tribute band with the original drummer. Well, when I say drummer, the man who used to sit behind the drum kit, I'll spread that back. Yeah. <laughs> my name was. Um, and we were a Deep Purple tribute band for a couple of years. And then what we noticed was the audiences for Deep Purple started to tail off a little bit. Because if you want to see Deep Purple, you go and see Deep Purple because they're still touring now. Yeah. You know, Ian Gillen's in his 70s. Um, and also, our original guitarist sadly died at 46, which obviously none of, none of us saw coming. A friend of his stepped in, huge Led Zeppelin fan. So we, we found that most people, if you like Deep Purple, you tend to like Led Zeppelin as well, yeah. vice versa. They're very different types of heavy rock. Um, so we added Led Zeppelin to it. So we ended up doing an hour of Deep Purple, then an hour of Led Zeppelin. Now, it's two very distinct styles, as I said, two very distinct musical styles, guitar styles, drumming, everything. Vocally, yes, because Purple, you've got to do Ian Gillan, Coverdale, Hughes. For Zeppelin, you've got to do Robert Plant. So it's a workout in itself. And that has just gained in popularity over the last 12, 13 years or so. Absolutely. And like everywhere, you start off in little places, you start off in pubs, you move on. And now we play some of the nicest theatres across the UK and and, uh, moving to Europe soon. I would love to bring it down here. I would love for us to play in St. Lawrence County. It would be awesome. Um, Logistics are the thing that that you've got to look at, aren't they? But yeah, that's, that's... Essentially, that's what I do now, and it's there was never any chance of me not making a living out of making a spectacle of myself. Yeah, you know, it was always going to happen. <laughs> it always did before as well. But it's obviously the, the fact that Deep Purple, like you mentioned, even though they're still around, Led Zeppelin, Robert Plant does more things on his own now. Mm. But obviously, the fact that they're still around it shows you the legacy that those songs and those albums in particular still have. But what is it about them, at least, like, that drives the audiences to see you guys? Obviously, maybe add your own personal twist for them as well. The tribute scene in England, in, in the UK, is huge. There's lots and lots of tribute bands. And there's plenty of tribute bands that do take themselves very, very, very seriously. Um, almost as though when you walk into the theatre to see them, you are, you may as well be watching the original band. There's a particular band that arrives in character. During the sound check, they stay in character for the whole time. And you think, really? Mm-hmm. So what we do is, we know that I don't look like Rob Plant, okay? I don't look like Ian Gillan. Um... What we do is we dress as though uh, with a suggestion towards how those guys used to dress, okay? Yeah. But we don't go on and go, yes, we are these people. We recognise that what we're doing is ridiculous, okay? We get to wear marvellously flamboyant clothes for two and a half hours, all right? Leap around, playing music very, very seriously. When it comes to the songs, maximum respect. But between the songs, I will tell some of the worst jokes and the worst anecdotes you've ever heard, to the point where, I'm, I don't want to say self-parody, but I, yeah, I recognise what I'm doing. It's, it's absurd, of course it is. Here's the next song, 
bang. So it's the juxtaposition between respecting the music really, really well, and I think playing it quite well, or we all do, and then between songs, let's just have a laugh. Yeah. Because if you can't enjoy it, what the hell are you doing there? <laughs> that's very true. But that's the best way to think about it as well. We, should, we mentioned Underhill before, and obviously you mentioned that Johan used to play in, in, in your old band, one of your first bands. Obviously, Johan's a great bassist, Albert's a very great guitarist, obviously wears a great drummer as well, great vocalist as well. as well. But what is it about Johan? What was it, your, your initial meeting with Johan and you like? <laughs> yeah. The fact that he's got a twin brother is, is one of the greatest stories of my rock life ever. One of the first, I think it was the third gig we ever did was at the Manchester United Club down on Queensway. Uh, I think it was Booby and Jackie that had it, the, the two brothers. And they let us do a gig there. We had no stage, we had a few pallets uh, with the, the drum kit on, little back line, and that was it. We didn't get paid, but my brother was managing them, as I said, and he managed to swing three drinks at the bar. So Albert very quickly cottoned on to the fact that if he went to the bar, because he's Johan's identical twin, he could get free lager. And at one point he was challenged and expected to pay. And his response was, no, 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 I'm with the band, look. And pointed over his shoulder at Johan, who was on stage. The guy looked at Johan and went, ah, see you, So the fact that his identical twin was on stage. Can't, they can't do that now. No, no, I'm in the band, look, there I am. Okay, there you go. But they can't do that now, so. <laughs> Genius. But, um, Again, Johan, it was, I was blown away by the fact that he's the only musician that had got a headless guitar. The first musician I'd ever seen. He had a Yamaha headless bass. Yeah. When you look at them now, you go, God, God what a hideous instrument. <laughs> but I thought, that's quite cool. And then, of course, he was friends with Daniel Bajeja and Dylan. Um, I think Johan knew certain, but it was Johan's, I think it was his uncle or his cousin during our very first gig who actually brought the PA. We'd done about two songs, and in the middle of the gig, he walks in carrying this great big little sort of PA thing with an attached speaker, plonks it down. So we stopped for a minute in the Trafalgar Tavern, plugged in, and away we went. Four songs later, they all rhymed. it. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, Johan, like we mentioned about Underhill, but anything, does it still surprise you as to why Johan and Albert are still active as well? It, it, I was... Because you saw Albert on Friday as well. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I bumped into him, um, and I was... I was really chuffed that he was um, still playing. And again, that he's still got his heavier punk sort of roots. Because again, when Johan was in, was in Sympathy the Blonde, the edgier side would always be stuff that Johan suggested. Yeah. And things like that. They were, it was Metallic Broad, Megadeth, that sort of thing, he'd suggest it. But it was great to see him still doing that sort of thing as well and still clearly enjoying it. You know, the, the moment you stop enjoying it, stop so, doing it. But I, it was great to bump into him. And he said, the magical phrase that everybody seems to say to me when they bump into me here, which is, quote, Bad, you look the same, eh? Apparently, apart from being a bit greyer, I've had a 45-year-old face since I was about 15 years old. Yeah, it's <laughs> good to know, isn't it? It's a blessing in disguise. It is. No, it's, it's great to know that the pair of them are still, are still performing as well, because there's nothing worse than having all that talent and just hanging up your instruments. And obviously, in 20 odd years, you've seen the local music scene grow from the outside and the inside. Mm. Where would you like to see it go in the future? I've been really impressed with uh, footage that I've seen of the uh, music festival because that is, in, in recent years, that now looks like a very, very slick professional uh, production. And the fact that you're getting artists, name artists from across the UK, around the world, that want to come and play in Jib, yeah. it's obviously now seen as professional. Whereas I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm hoping that 
any musician listening to this now will nod sagely and go, in the old days, a lot of it was very amateurish. Not the musicians, but just the setup. Yeah. Where, the, the, you know, no places or you wouldn't get paid or you'd get double booked or the equipment wouldn't be there. But now it's, with what Jib's doing musically, it's firmly put Jib on the map as a serious force, music-wise. And why the hell not? Because the place is full of musicians, as I said. Too many talented ones as well, from the young and the old as well. Well, this is it, exactly. So, you know, I mean, if, if you think proportionately, what, you've stuck with 29, 30,000 people here. Take that statistic or, or that ratio and apply that to the UK. That is, you would have literally tens of millions of brilliant musicians. Agreed. It's not going to happen. But in Jib, it just seems it's the norm. And, and it seems to be growing by the minute as well. Long may, not long may continue. It's, you know, it's, I think it's great. And I come back to Jib, as I said, I breathe a sigh of relief and I feel I'm home. Yeah. In more ways than one. But it's great to have you and it's been great to talk to you, John. It's been a pleasure. It's been a long time coming as well. Yes. Obviously, we have to wait for the right time. We have to clean the right place as well. Not that you can't do anything through social media technology these days, but it's a lot easier to actually put the contacts and actually and talk about all these things, especially local music, which is what we do. We promote it to the very best of our abilities. So again, thank you, John, for your time. It's been a pleasure. We'll catch you very soon, I hope. Yes. And likewise, thank you for having me. It's... Um, it is an absolute pleasure. And again, the, the beauty of music is this, uh, the final thing to leave you with. It's certain songs that, that I've found, I've listened to throughout my life, you enjoy or you like to a certain degree. Sometimes certain songs take on a, a particular resonance. And when we do music, when we do it, we do a, a, a completely unplugged version of That's The Way by Zeppelin, which I've always enjoyed singing. Recently, that's become, it's had much more of an impact for me for lots of other reasons. But again, Music will be your lifeboat when you're in the chalkiest of seas. Yeah. And, you know, so don't stop, quite frankly. <laughs> so we're going to end the show with Underhill and we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And more than anything else, keep supporting local music because when you do, you're keeping local music alive. We'll catch you up in two weeks and enjoy the show. And more than anything else, do check us out in Spotify, on iTunes, you know, every digital music platform we're there. And we'll be debuting a very brand new show very, very soon as well. So be sure to check it out then. So until then, see you later, guys. Secondary